I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, unmasked. When Governor Greg Abbott announced on Texas Independence Day that he plans to lift long-in-place coronavirus restrictions, including the statewide mask mandate, and permit businesses of all kinds to reopen at 100% capacity, he found himself at odds with not just the President of the United States and the head of the Centers for Disease Control. He once again butted heads with his favorite foes, local officials, who complained the decision was not justified by either science or statistics. For the record, at the very moment the governor delivered the news and generated headlines from coast to coast, Texas was still averaging 200 daily deaths related to the outbreak of COVID-19, still was reporting more than 4,000 newly confirmed cases per day, still had more than 5,000 people hospitalized. The pandemic isn't remotely over. And the road back is, for now, a maddeningly long slog. Texas ranks 48th among the states based on the number of vaccine doses administered per 100,000 people, according to the latest report from the CDC. No wonder cities from Dallas to San Antonio and counties from El Paso to Travis quickly made it known that if it's all the same, they're gonna continue to require the use of masks in municipal buildings and strongly encourage businesses to keep the range of orders in place. Over these months in purgatory, one of the most ardent critics of the state's handling of the public health emergency has been Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo, who responded to Governor Abbott's relaxing of restrictions by accusing him of political expediency, of creating a story to distract from the ERCOT scandal in the wake of the winter storm, and of putting the health of her community at risk. As chief executive of the largest county in Texas and the third largest in the country, presiding over a population of more than 4.5 million and overseeing an annual budget of more than 3 billion. 30-year-old Hidalgo has been a rising star ever since she defeated incumbent Ed Emmett in the 2018 general election. But the first woman and the first Latina to hold the office has been a certified celebrity, a familiar face on the cable news shows, ever since the Houston area logged its first coronavirus case which was also the first case in Texas, just over one year ago on March 4th, 2020. A native of Bogota, Colombia, who became a naturalized citizen in 2013, the year she graduated from Stanford University, she has steel in her spine, to borrow a phrase from her political opposite, the governor, when it comes to the question of who should get to make decisions that affect her constituents as she told me over the lunch hour on Monday, March 8th, day 56 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by the Hobby School of Public Affairs at the University of Houston, putting creative solutions to work for the world, tangibly impacting communities through education, research, and action. And by Lone Star College, now offering four-year degrees in nursing, cybersecurity, and energy and manufacturing that are affordable and close to home. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, 
proud to support this conversation because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of Texans. So I saw footage of you the other day with President Biden when he came to Houston after the storm. He and you and Governor Abbott, among others, toured the Harris County Emergency Operations Center. Did you and the governor talk on that day? What did he say to you and what did you say to him? Yes, the governor and I have been in touch uh, and had been in touch around the winter storm. We were both advocating for support from the federal government. So in, in some ways, you know, it was a tragic day. We were showing the president the, the tragedy, the suffering, the slow recovery after the storm. But in other ways, it was a hopeful day because we were talking about the federal aid and, um, and, and, and not just for the winter storm recovery through FEMA aid, but also about the vaccines uh, that the federal government continues to send. So that was the, the tone and, and those were the topics of our conversations. Right, so in the middle of a crisis, even Greg Abbott and Lena Hidalgo can find common ground. That's the message Absolutely. to take away. Yeah, yeah, and we have, you know, in all when we've had the floods and the fires and uh, and and uh, at least in the the vaccination part of the virus, I strive to find that common ground with my Republican and Democratic colleagues, particularly in times of crises. And I've seen that automatically happens. The place where it stopped happening. Uh, was the pandemic, you know, around the, the initial politicization of the mask mandate about a, a month into the crisis or so. But other than that, you know, it really has been putting differences aside. Now, there shouldn't be an exception in times of crisis. There shouldn't be a crisis where things get political because then things stop working. Um, but, but I think, you know, I certainly continue to strive for that, uh, that coordination and putting partisanship aside when it comes to dealing with, with crises. Well, power outages don't only affect Democrats and the pandemic doesn't only affect Democrats, right? The fact is that these crises and other things that you deal with and that he deals with and that we deal with don't really care what party you are. And so there's presumably a reason for you all to find common ground, right? Right, right. Yeah. How has your relationship been generally over the last two years? You've just passed the two-year mark in the job or if I'm remembering correctly, right, you were probably uh, in office at the beginning of 2019. That's right. Yep, so, January so 2019. How has your relationship with the governor been generally, not at times of crisis, but just normal times, normal politics, if there is such a thing these days? <laughs> Good. I mean, look, the past, uh, the, the two years that I've been in office have been uh, years of more and more division not just in the state, but throughout the country, just, just horrible division. And we saw the culmination of that and the attacks on the Capitol. And it's, it's very dangerous in my mind. Uh, divisiveness and, and, and sort of dehumanization, um, sometimes on both sides, honestly, the dehumanization at least. And tell, tell, so, tell me, Judge, Judge, tell me about that. Where, uh, so I'm assuming you mean his side politically, your side politically. Where has there been dehumanization by your fellow Democrats on your side? Well, I think that there has been more and more the tendency to, to characterize folks who disagree with us politically as, you know, call, calling people names and, um, and, and just uh, particularly that, right? Sort of anything that, that even in words 
makes them less than human. And that's sort of an, in, an instinct that, that has been fed by the divisiveness that you might think is a small thing, but actually it's a big thing. You know, I, I started my career working on free expression in Southeast Asia. And one of the uh, assignments I had was to, to, to train um, some sort of budding journalists on hate speech and the threats of hate speech in, in areas, I remember it was Southern Thailand where there's a lot of, uh, there's insurgencies and there's, there's violence. And, um, and part of the problem is, is this problem of hate speech. And, um, you know, that's what it was. It was when you, when you begin talking about the side you disagree with as less than human, or you, you, you know, you assign them sort of, uh, names and, 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 um, and you, uh, you basically, you're othering, right? You're othering. Yeah. That is a, is a slippery slope. And it, you know, it's what we saw in the attacks of the Capitol, the, the death threats, obviously that was from, from one side to the, to the, to the other side. But I do think that, you know, both Democrats and Republicans need to work and continue working on coming together rather than, than creating division. And so this comes back to the original question in the sense that, you know, I, I've worked very hard to work with, um, Democrat and Republican leaders with to, to make sure we're offering support to all communities in Harris County, even when folks have said hey, they're never going to vote for you. Why would you, you know, why would you do to X, Y, Z? Well, because they're my right. constituents. Right. Um, and, but it is, it is, it is hard um, in a time of division where I, I can see, you know, no matter how much I do, how much I extend a hand, there's this sort of, um, you know, attribution that 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 because I am from a different party I must be a terrible person you right. know um, right. so that is a judge judge is is calling names the same as ascribing motives I, I saw when the governor announced the end of his mask mandate last Tuesday and the reopening of businesses at 100% capacity you accused him of political expediency expediency you actually said that it had the effect of promoting death you said that he was putting your community at risk. This is you writing for Time Magazine posted today, Monday the 8th, a short time ago. I hope that people of this county won't allow pandemic politics to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and that we won't throw away a year, a year of pain and sacrifice so that politicians can have their mission accomplished moment. Anything wrong with calling the governor in this case out in the way that you have that is different from calling names, do you think? Yeah, look, I hope I'm wrong, right? I hope that um, with all entities that are 100% and and no masks, that that somehow you know the community will will see through that and and stick with it, and we won't see another increase in cases and hospitalizations and deaths. I hope I'm wrong. Well, you've got but all the variants that you could possibly ask for in Harris County, right? I mean, exactly. But the, yeah. the evidence points to the fact that I, I likely won't be wrong. You know, I'm trying to do everything I can so that I am wrong by saying, you know, asking the community, saying, look, we have every single variant of the virus has been identified in Harris County. Our positivity rate is extremely high and it's going up. 
our ICU COVID positive population is very high. And if it were to start climbing from here, it would be the highest starting point for the climb that we've ever seen. Our cases, we're seeing about 600 a day, which is a very, very high number for right. our population. So I need to tell the community what you are hearing, that, that things are okay and we can go back to normal. I need you to not pay attention to that and I need you to stick with it. Yeah. And so what I'm doing in sort of um, creating a contrast with the governor's message, it is not a it is not born of, you know, a desire to engage into political fight or ascribe motive. It is born out of a need to uh, make sure that the community is hearing a message that may well save lives, you know, that 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 this is not an all clear moment. It right. is not. It is time to continue buckling down. And and you know, it's it's sad that that the the pandemic has become political. That's the that's the problem. It well, everything judged political. everything judges political these days, even something as serious as this. Probably not all that surprising. Um, hey, have you talked to the governor since Tuesday, since he announced the end of the mask mandate? Have you had a conversation with him? I personally have not. I know our teams are constantly in touch, but I personally have not spoken with him since. Right. Um, so I want to ask you about vaccines in, in Harris County. Um, how is vaccine distribution going? Because to the degree that there's optimism about the future, that there's an off-ramp in sight or the sign for the off-ramp, at least, it all ladders back up to access to vaccines. And as you know, Texas has been nowhere to brag about in terms of vaccine access um, as a percentage of our population. So tell me how it's going in the largest county in the state. What's your what's your read? Well, we're working very efficiently, as efficiently as we possibly can. We are about to hit uh, 200,000 vaccines uh, by Harris County Public Health, of mm -hmm. course, and, you know, with other entities you know, the data we get from the state is, is outdated, but we think somewhere between seven, 10% of the population has received the vaccine. Now that's progress. It's the progress we expected. We knew that we weren't going to have enough doses to vaccinate the vast majority of the population until, you know, into summer. And that's the timeline we're in. A couple of, of challenges. First, there continues to be this vaccine hesitancy. And and yeah. we're trying to counter it as much as we can. You know, we've got a media campaign. We send uh, mobile sites to hardest hit communities. We send mobile sites to our nursing homes and homeless shelters. Is we're that about misinformation, Judge? Is it about people getting the word that somehow the vaccine is unsafe or that there's a, a reason that they don't want to do it and that you feel like you can actually combat that if you get one-on-one -on -one with them or something close to that? Yeah, there, there's various reasons for the for the vaccine hesitancy for the African American community. Obviously, there's a, a tragedy of uh, you know historical tragedy um, of of the the way that um, that 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 the health community lost trust with the African American community by by ab abusing them. You know, in 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 one of the darkest marks of of our history. Um, and so that's a hard thing to overcome. And then um, I think that a year of um, mixed messaging on the pandemic takes a toll, you know, just like there, there have been, uh, there's been a year of people saying, well, it's, it's going to go away. It's not really a big deal. We learned that President Trump got vaccinated, but he, he didn't share that, you know, so there's, 
there has just been so much um, miscommunication, um, misleading claims, attempts at minimizing the 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 pandemic that 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 takes a toll as well and um and then there's there's sort of the the structural barriers which are that um some of these communities don't have an easy entry point into the healthcare system you know they don't have a hospital nearby they don't have health insurance the undocumented community has been you know vilified uh, had been vilified under the Trump administration so they're nervous to have anything to do with government there's many layers to it as far as you know, we're we're hoping to counter that. Yes, I mean we're not going to throw our hands up in the air and say this is too hard. You know, come what may, but we do have to admit that it's it's a tall order. You know, to to try and counter all of those challenges. So, you know, we are focused on on the messaging side, on lowering barriers to access to the vaccines, whether it be by offering rides to people who, who don't have a car to go to our drive-through site, whether it be by prioritizing zip codes, over 50% of our vaccines here in Harris County are, are tailored toward the, the 10 or 25 hardest hit zip codes, many of which happen to be these minority communities. But then again, you know, we, we can target them, but they may not sign up, you know, so we're working with well, we have grassroots Wi-Fi, We have Wi-Fi problems, Judge. I mean, we know that broadband access, which has been such a, a feature of every discussion about the pandemic, if, if there are so many signups online, but people don't have access to Wi-Fi, that's a problem, right? Right, yeah. If so pharmacies we, you know, are distributing vaccines and there aren't pharmacies in communities of color, that's exactly. a problem. It's all, it's all, so, you know, we talk about equity in three ways. So one is communication. So that's where we have... The media campaign in various languages and you know we have broadcasts and tv but in, in radio but we also have mailers that kind of thing then there is the registration access so you can't just open the registration system via via the internet right um you got to be able to help people register by phone we don't think there should be a first come first serve system because then you're you're by virtue of of that you're giving an advantage to people who have the time and the knowledge to sit there and click right when the portal opens so ours is not first come first serve it's a randomized system that that gives extra weight to older people and people from vulnerable communities and now teachers but you know you're you're put into this big pool and pulled out through a, a, a randomized um a, a randomized process and then there's there's generally the the distribution equity which is you you should strive to have that that geographic access to your point of there may not be a pharmacy in a certain community so that's why we send our teams to the the congregate settings where people have decreased mobility and we have a system where if somebody signs up and they get assigned a vaccine but they can't our sites are drive-through sites but they don't have a car they don't have access to a car we'll go get them you know we'll go pick them up and and bring them to a site it's not perfect we're still seeing enormous disparities enormous disparities but we're constantly thinking about what else we can do and so the new thing we're doing is working with these grassroots groups to have them knock you know on doors and sign people up for the wait list well it takes a village right like the saying goes everybody's got to put in here to make this thing work and it's in everybody's interest that's the point right we all benefit the more people who are vaccinated um, I, I talked to your counterpart in Travis County, Andy Brown, yesterday, who had just left the Circuit of the Americas um, uh, racetrack just outside of, of downtown Austin, um, where they have a, a mass vaccination clinic for kind of community 
uh, uh, these are sort of you know people who have lower income status or have less access to the traditional health system. These are vulnerable populations. Let's just say that, and they had done something like. 10,000 vaccine sticks over the previous couple of days. You're doing a similar deal, right, in, in Harris County, where you're doing these mass sites, realizing that you can accomplish something with volume if you marshal all resources to do it. Yeah, we're doing, so we've got our FEMA site, which does 6,000 vaccines a day. And then we've got four larger sites yeah. and we have the mobile sites, which do you know, 100 to 200 vaccines. And those are the ones we send to, to the zip codes and the communities, the, the congregate care sites. Yeah. So it's a, it's a multi-layered approach. Is, is there more you could be doing or would wanna be doing if you only had access to venues or to resources? If, you know, if, if uh, uh, some massive facility like the Circuit of the Americas track was willing to open up their venue to you, would you even be able to do more? Do you have enough access to, to doses? We have, the limiting factor right now is not our operational capacity or, or logistical capacity. We've shown as Harris County and Harris County Public Health, everything we've done around vaccines has been, you know, has, has, has worked well, has been thorough and thoughtful before we launched it and, you know, has, has gone according to plan. Uh, save, you know, minor, you know, minor issues here and there, but really it's, it's, it's been very thoroughly done. The challenge is the supply side. So if we received more vaccines, you know, when FEMA said, we are going to send you 6,000 vaccines per day starting next week, immediately we were ready. We had hundreds of thousands of people on our wait list. We, we assigned those vaccines. We gave them. It worked like clockwork. So we, we just need more doses. That's our limiting factor. And that's something you talked about, as you said, with the with the president when he was here. And obviously the president's made a series of announcements over the last couple of weeks that at least give me hope that maybe we're gonna be able to get more vaccines to the states more quickly. And that's obviously, that's the ingredient that you're missing. Right, and we just got the first shipment of Johnson Johnson vaccine, so that's good. We've got that out the door. We've got a system yeah. for people to choose one dose, two dose. The other issue that we have is visibility on the data and the progress. Is you know, I told you between seven and ten percent of people have been vaccinated. I mean, we don't actually know exactly where we're doing on the numbers. We have a sense that the disparities continue, but we don't know exactly what they are because from the very beginning, there's been a challenge with the state, and and they know this. They know that there's a challenge. I know they're working on it in that there has not been up-to-date and fully accurate data. And there are, there are so many providers, they don't all input the data appropriately. It's gotten better. Yeah. But to me, the way I do things is I need to be able to, to be up in the, on the strategic level. When you're down in the, in the sort of tactics, you know, that's what I leave to the team, et cetera. But you got to be able to see, okay, what's the goal and how are we doing the progress to our goal? And the reality of the matter is it's hard for us to do that at an adequately granular level because of inadequate data. So yeah. that's something we continue to push on that would, that would certainly help. So another thing you said about the governor's announcement last week, Judge, was that he was trying to distract attention from ERCOT and from the storm stuff. You still believe that? You really do believe that? He was trying yeah. to change the narrative. The timing was pretty was pretty suspect, to put it kindly. You well, know? it was Texas Independence Day, independence from masks. Right. I, I could write that press release, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, we know that there are big challenges with the, 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 the management of the power grid and, and the, the regulations or lack thereof that, that surround energy 
in this state and energy production in this state. And that is a story that needs to continue until there is change. Mm -hmm. There was national attention on that question and the changes required. It was growing by the day. And then all of a sudden there was this premature decision to go to 100% and eliminate masks for really, I mean, I can't find a good reason for that because we know that if we stay with it, we're going to move past this. The vaccines are coming. The supply of vaccines is steadily increasing. The economic aid is arriving. There's no reason for us to sacrifice more lives in the process. And yeah. so the, the me, evidence is on the ground, right? I mean, you know that masks have worked. That's at least the assumption. I, I was looking over the weekend at a picture of Mayor Turner on Twitter in a mask that read, this was preventable. Right. And I had to stop and remind myself he was referring to the pandemic and not the power outage, because in the same vein, right, the, the, the power outage was also preventable, or at least one imagines. Yeah. And we knew, you know, those I, those questions, those issues had been identified. But you have to remember, it's not just that we have evidence that masks work. We have evidence that when the state has lifted mask mandates in the past, people stop wearing their masks. So why right. do that? You, right. When you combine those two things, it, right. there's just no logical explanation. You know, Texas Independence Day is not a good enough. Not a good, not a good reason. Uh, Judge, I, I've seen a lot of publicity. I know you have as well about this bar in Houston, Concrete Cowboy, that the mayor and Representative Ann Johnson and others have been dunking on for advertising kind of brazenly and with enthusiasm, a mask off party on Wednesday, the day that the uh, mask mandate is formally lifted. They very much want this bar to, to, to not do it. I did not see you in that discussion, but I have to believe that based on what you're saying, you're no happier than they are, that people are taking the governor's baton here and running with it. Yeah, and that's, that's the license that's been created is, I had conversations with some of these, these business leaders and school superintendents and just community leaders throughout the pandemic where they say, look, we're, we're caught between a rock and a hard place here and we need that cover. We need that guidance because it shouldn't be, the, these public health decisions shouldn't be made at the level of the individual bar owner. I, I appreciate that there are so many other restaurant owners and, and business leaders, some of these, these grocery stores, school districts that have said, even if they, there's no mask mandate, even if these occupancy limits have been lifted, even if it's unpopular and requir requires courage, I am still going to continue with these public health restrictions. That's brave, and I think it bears celebrating and elevating those folks because just like there is this, you know, cowboy party, no mask party, there are so many others that are that are doing their part when, frankly, it's not their job. That is the government's job to come in at a time of disaster and, and set the line and protect yeah. people. And that's what they also failed to do during the power outage or leading up to the power outage. Right, right. So I don't... I, I don't want to get hung up on that, but of course I'm, I'm disappointed to see that kind of story. And what's harder is there's just nothing I can do about it, right? To protect my community against that kind of narrative that, that this, this mask off party is, 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 is building on, you know, I don't have any authority. You, you to, can't enforce a non-mandate. Exactly. Right? I can't enforce a non-mandate. And so yeah. there's, 
that's uh that's 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 very that's very unfortunate and i do hope that leaders in the community business owners continue to do their part and that the community even though it shouldn't be on them you know it's too much to put on them what they're being asked to do so i don't blame the community for wanting to not wear masks anymore we're all tired but i do have to ask them since they're we are are each other's last line of defense now that the state has decided to to give up on it is hey let's all just pull together and keep on with right. with these safety practices back to the to the uh, winter storm and the aftermath judge i mean I, I appreciate what you say about the need for a change in narrative but i was surprised yesterday to see this poll by the dallas morning news and ut tyler on the question of the governor's approval ratings and also his response to the storm i mean it makes me wonder does he really need the distraction? A majority of Texas voters, 53%, which is obviously not 70%, but it's still a majority, rated the governor's storm response positively. Overall, his approval rating is 52-31. It's probably down a couple of points from, you know, uh, over the last couple of years. But the reality is the public doesn't seem to have abandoned the governor on this. If you're the governor, you probably think I did okay on this, right? Perhaps. It goes back to the fact that as leaders, we, we have a responsibility to do the best job that we can. Our responsibility is not to have the best approval rating we can get. The, yeah, but the, it's nice, though, isn't it? I mean, and, and as if you're talking about accountability and a measure of how the public re- reads your performance, if it's a focus group, that's not a bad focus group response, right? Perhaps, but there's also, you know, the recipe for the perfect approval rating is probably to, to flip-flop, right? You can't make everybody happy and and to obfuscate. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I perhaps, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for anybody to be a slave to their approval rating. I don't think it's appropriate, especially when um, it's it's a time of, of su- such division. One thing I find curious is when he was sort of teasing the announcement about the mask order, he did so on a on a tweet about his approval rating. You know, he said, well, thank you for the high approval rating, more coming soon. So that kind of makes you wonder, you know, is this something that's being pursued because of the approval rating? It was odd, you know, when, that's how I learned about it is I saw a tweet. that. But of that- course, another way to think about it is, look, the public wants me to do this. I serve the public. I mean, I, I think one of the challenges for anybody, I have to believe, because I've never been in office, if you're in offices, do you lead or do you follow? And the answer is yes. You know, you do both. You both lead the public where they need to go, but also you have to be responsive. And if the public is telling you or your base is telling you. Well, and that's that's where, you, you know, it's it's hard for me to ascribe motive. And that's where I don't, you know, I don't yeah. I don't want to go in terms of is somebody actively trying to harm the community. That's not, you know, that's right. not not appropriate for me to, to say or go there. But I will say for, for my part, I believe my role is to keep my community safe. And, you know, we could all say, well, let's get rid of seatbelt laws. Let's get rid of all laws. You know, let's not let's not regulate the energy production. Let's because everybody would love to just be able to do whatever they want to do. You know, then I'd be the most popular. But the point is that you you have to, to me, to me, right? My job is in part 
to look out for the best interests of the community. I have a vantage point that individual residents may not have. That's not their job to think about how it all ties together every day. And so that requires sometimes making unpopular decisions. I mean, it was never going to be a popular decision to say, let's all wear masks. Um, let's issue a stay home order. We got to shut down bars and restaurants. We have, you know, none of, you know, we closed the parks for Easter. That wasn't going to get me any approval ratings. In fact, I got calls from many entities saying, if you do this, we're not going to support you politically. I'm like, that's okay because I'm still going to be able to sleep at night if you do that. So right. I think it's kind of a, a style, right? And as I study sort of history and, and leaders of, of the country in Texas, I do think that there have been some who take as a strategy, you know, let me just sort of pander, right? That's what right. I call pandering. And then others take as a strategy, let me find what is right and good and do that and risk the consequences. And fade, and fade, and that fade that's going to lead yeah. to, you know, to, right. to a re-election, but it may not, you know, to me, my job is not to be re-elected. My job is to do a right. good job. Right. L let me ask you about the economy, if you don't mind, uh, Judge, because all of this is, of course, re related. I was really interested to see the more robust jobs report nationally than was predicted on Friday, which I took to be a hopeful sign. Hopefully it's a hopeful sign. Um, do you feel the economy coming back in Harris County these days? It's hard to tell, you know, if I talk about it from the perspective of the county as an entity, for example, we rely on, on property taxes and that's something of a lagging, it, it's impacted in a lagging way because yeah. it, we're not gonna feel that until next year. So our county revenues are not gonna be affected for another year substantially. And that then has ripple effects on the community and the services we can provide. There are, you know, that some unemployment numbers are looking a little bit better but they're behind. The Texas leading index is still behind compared to last year. So, right. you know, there are there are certain indices where, where we feel like, you know, we thought it was going to be worse. It's a little bit better, but they're still not where they need to be when we compare it to, you know, two years ago or before the pandemic. So I wouldn't I wouldn't claim victory. I would say the sooner we get past this public health crisis, the sooner the economy is going to fully recover and bounce back to the extent that we keep playing this ping pong of open and close that that causes people to lose confidence in the economy. Like one business owner told me, if half the people are not wearing masks, the other half is going to be uncomfortable. They're just going to leave. You know, it's been it's been all of that. You you can't pretend the economy to go back will go back to normal when thousands of people are dying of 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 this disease that is, you know, that is just just gripping the entire community. So that is why I also feel for the sake of the economy, we should stick with it get vaccinated, not cause more more illnesses and deaths, and get past this. Will the, the bill passed by the Congress this weekend, the president's COVID relief bill, in terms of the direct relief to individuals or anything that local entities may receive in the form of financial support, make a difference in terms of the economy coming back and also addressing some of the needs you have to try to wind the pandemic down? Absolutely, absolutely. You have to remember so many of the folks in Texas and Harris County, they're hit doubly hard because 
they're impacted by the pandemic and the economic impacts of that. And then also the winter storm, which was a, which was another uh, body blow when it comes to the 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 economic well-being of so many families. So that direct aid to families is going to be important uh, to children is going to be important. And the fact that they've included funding for local governments as well, because we're here providing the, you know, put, putting the needles in arms, getting yeah. the clinics stood up, getting the testing done, you know, so many services that people need more, not less of. And at the same time, you know, our revenues are are, are about to be down. Do you, so, have, you have a sense of how much of a hit you've taken over the last year, Judge, financially? Give us a ballpark. We have to project it out. Um, we, as I mentioned, the, the real big hit is we're going to feel it more next year. And, um, and but you can't I'm, estimate I'm, how much that's going to be. I'm loath to, yeah, I'm loath to give a number because, you know, the truth is we don't know, but I will tell you as we, as we budgeted for this year, we did so with an eye that, you know, revenues are going to go down, not up. Probably be down. So we talked about the governor a fair amount. Let me ask you quickly, and then I want to talk a little politics with you uh, and and sort of personal relationships at the at the local level. We haven't been talking politics. Well, we kind of have been talking politics. I'm going to really talk politics. So get ready. Okay. Um, what what kind of assistance? Leaving the governor out of it. What kind of assistance from the legislature do you need that you're not getting? Obviously, we're halfway through or coming up close on halfway through a session. Do you think the legislature understands the predicament that you're in? Are you looking to them for help? And how responsive? has your delegation been in Austin? And I mean, members of both parties. One of the, the structural issues behind the vaccine challenges, as I mentioned, is the lack of access to healthcare. And that's also one of the reasons for, for many of, the, of the, the most tragic stories around the pandemic. I mean, so many people who died at home, right? We have a death count, but we many people believe it's just sort of generally understood. It's probably an undercount because yeah, sure. so many people never went to the hospital. So that comes from the lack of health insurance. And, it, you know, this is a pipe dream with the legislature we have right now, but it's an important one to mention, and that's Medicaid expansion. That's a place where they could make enormous difference. I think Oklahoma expanded it during the pandemic. Many of the southern states have. I mean, we're- Well, we're a lot of states have put it on the ballot, uh, Judge, when the state leaders said, we're very conservative, we have a conservative state, we're not going to do this through the normal front door. Um, when it's gone to the voters, the voters have actually said in those very conservative states, no, actually, we want this. And so there's right. a question of whether voters here would do the same thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I would hope that they would. I think the polls show that they would. And but but again, you know, that's something that you need to lead. You know, that's that's why we're elected is to be leaders, yeah. uh, to be leaders, not not to pander to the extremes of a, one party or the other. Um, right. The the other point is is on. um you know, I, I do hope that something is done about the, the 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 grid issues. I was disappointed when I saw that become political again and folks trying to blame it on wind energy and, you know, just just claims that we're turning it into culture wars. Well, I saw seven bills that the speaker at least prioritized in the House today that are going to now you know get fast tracked. Um, and a number of those seem like more traditional you know, attempts to address this, whether it's weatherizing facilities or protecting ratepayers, that's probably the kind of thing that you want, right? Right, speaking. but you also need to need to make sure that there's some sort of regulatory structure because you can. 
you can't get to just the symptoms. You have to get to the root yeah. of the problem. And the you, you would take the, us off of our own grid. Would you go ahead and connect to the rest of the country's electricity? Well, you know, either that or you'd have to get to the root of the problem and, and set some parameters to say, you know, there has to be there has to be enough production to have an a, a energy reserve. There has to be. Um, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's just hard to imagine how you do it with, without, you know, by still swearing off the rest of the country. But at a minimum, there has to be some regulation. And it goes back to the point that, you know, government needs to be there to, to deal with things that no individual can, can, can deal with alone. And, and that is particularly yeah. on these core, core necessities, power, right, and right. health, and particularly particularly in in the areas of 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 just you know safety which again you can't get more on point than than this than this grid issue and so just there has to be a, a change to the laissez-faire approach uh on on the grid yeah. and i i'm concerned that fundamentally that may not happen so i hope that it does okay uh, uh, judge how aligned are you and mayor turner as you press your various cases in Austin and Houston. I talked to somebody yesterday who knows you both well, and this is what the person I talked to said. The biggest thing between a big city mayor and a county judge is trust, knowing that they'll have each other's back and be unified. They, meaning you and Mayor Turner, basically have to battle to stay together and any daylight positions will show they trust each other on that. Sounds like you guys are, are locked arms. You feel the same way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we don't see everything exactly the same. We're two different people. We're different mm -hmm. generations. But we, you know, in, in, in principle, I think we tend to agree on most issues. And we work well together. Our staffs work well together. Yeah. We are, you know, we, we go out of our way, each of us, to keep the other abreast, to, to go in lockstep. We recognize that if if I say something that applies to Harris County and not the city of Houston, and he says some, or he says something that applies to Houston, city of Houston and not Harris County, then you get into this mixed message situation and right. you end up with, with a net zero. So that's partly why, you know, we work hard to arrive right. at a point of agreement that is not always automatic, but you can't expect it to be automatic. We're two different people. How aligned are you and the other county judges of the big uh, counties? Do you have a bitching about state government group text or something? <laughs> no, we we know better than to do that, but we do lean on each other. So we, you know, we have a group text and we tend to so send each other inspirational messages and, and support. Uh, but there's a really great network, not just with the other county judges in Texas, but the county executives in the country. You remember yeah. at the very beginning of the pandemic, I called my counterpart in Seattle when they were facing the crisis there at the height of the, the winter storm or well before it was coming. And we were figuring out, do we ask that people stay in their homes or do we somehow tell everybody to go to warming center, which of course is, is really hard because you can't shelter 5 million people or two and a half million people. Correct. And so I called my counterpart up in Buffalo, New York. And, you know, so we have a very, a, a very tight network and, and, and our teams work incredibly closely together because we are, we're all learning from one another. That has right. been one of my sort of rocks over the past two years is the relationship I have with other County executives. Sure. Sure. Okay. Last question. I want to ask you what's next. 
um, because there's always a political moment, even if an election is just passed. Your name, ke- your name keeps coming up in conversations about who the Democratic nominee for governor will be or should be in 2022. And who's surprised by that? You're already leading what would be by population, I think, the 25th largest state in the United States. You're effectively the governor of Harris County. So do you want to be the governor of Texas? I also note that you are up for re-election in 2022, and so it's either or. Tell us what you're going to do. What are you thinking? My plan right now is to run for re-election. There's a lot that we still need to do. We are getting a lot done in the Harris County Commissioner's Court. I think if it came, if we came to a point, I've told this to my team, you know, if there came a point where we're not doing things, you know, where we're just sort of yelling into a void, um, I, I, I don't know that I'd want to be there for that, but we're just getting so much done. And, and I feel that I, I need to see things through. So we're, you know, we're working on our reelection campaign. I'm very excited about it. I'm very hopeful for the future of Harris County. And so, the so, that, so that's the plan. The plan is to run for reelection. Have you foreclosed completely, taken off the table completely a conversation about something else? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's something I'm, I'm actively pursuing right now. The focus is on re-election. Boy, I hear a crack of daylight or see a crack of daylight there. No, no, no. I'm focused on the re-election. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, Lena Hidalgo, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, the Hobby School of Public Affairs at the University of Houston, Lone Star College, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith. <music>